Fired Up show starts right now. And hello, everybody. Welcome back. Thank you for choosing the Fired Up podcast to listen to this week. This is Steve. I host each week, and we're happy to be here, courtesy of WJMS Media. And uh, we're going to bring some interesting conversation for our show this time. Uh, As always, let's start off with our roundup of the COVID and monkeypox numbers. And for COVID, we're at 96.7 million cases reported and 1.062 million people have died from the disease and 620 million people have been vaccinated. There's some reports out from uh, the CDC and the health and science industry and the COVID rates of infection are slowing down uh, and that's a good thing. Also, the uh, death rate from the disease has also slowed over the past uh, week uh, and two weeks. And uh, the vaccination rate continues to climb. As I said, we're at 620 million people who have received at least one dose or are fully vaccinated against COVID-19. On the monkeypox front, I didn't see numbers uh, reported uh, for this week. Uh, With the holiday coming up, they may have been delayed. But given the trend that we've seen, we're probably sitting somewhere around 27,000 cases of monkeypox reported here in the U.S. Uh, So we'll keep track and bring you more accurate numbers in our next show. But keep in mind, as uh, we're now uh, definitely into the month of October, uh, that the cold and flu season uh, is coming upon us. So, you know, you need to make sure that you are getting the vaccinations you need, not only against COVID, uh, but also make sure you get your flu shot as well. Uh, The health officials are suggesting that uh, this flu season could be uh, more uh, dangerous than prior ones, uh, but it's always worthwhile to be prepared and you know, get your, your vaccinations, uh, follow the recommendations of the medical and scientific fields. Uh, we are still you know, in a situation where masking is a, a good thing to do uh, you know, when you're gathered in crowds or in other uh, situations where your exposure to a lot of people uh, may be higher than normal. So let's make sure we're taking care of ourselves, okay? All right, so... Um, one of the interesting things uh, that's occurred uh, over the past couple of weeks is that I have rejoined the ranks of job seekers here in the United States, uh, having separated from uh, the company I worked for and finding myself now back into the uh, fun job of uh, seeking a new avenue for my work career. Uh, But it has given me some time to uh, look out over the political landscape here as we now are less than one month away from the midterms uh, on November 8th, I believe, is when they occur because of the calendar. And uh, it, it has also allowed me to pay a little bit more attention to what's been happening in the political arena. Uh, in particular, uh, 
Uh, there's a lot of media coverage going on right now surrounding uh, Republican senatorial candidate from Georgia, Herschel Walker. And, you know, if you've been paying attention to the news, uh, you have heard and, and maybe have seen uh, videos uh, from events that uh, Herschel Walker has been at, as well as a viral uh, video that has come out from uh, one of his sons, uh, Christian Walker, uh, who you know, very, very strongly is critical of his father for the you know, allegations that are out there concerning his uh, payment for a uh, abortion by one of his uh, wives or girlfriends out there and uh, you know how that has been really a, a firestorm of controversy uh, given the fact that uh, uh, Herschel Walker has been a very outspoken um, you know anti-abortion spokesperson but we'll we'll get into all of that in more detail in in a couple of minutes. Um, but like I said, having the time to you know give some thought to uh, our elected officials at the federal level uh, in you know viewing that through the lens of Herschel Walker, uh, I started to raise the question and I you know wanted to find out what exactly you know are the qualifications for a senator and a congressman. Uh, more specifically, do we have uh, some type of qualitative uh, assessment of what makes a good you know, federal elected official, federal senator or federal uh, congressman in the House of Representatives? So in doing the research, uh, I've, I found how the Constitution frames the qualifications for both senator and congressman, uh, but not surprisingly, you know, there there isn't anything that dictates, you know, what if any educational level or experience level, or you know, any other um, quantitative criteria that you know a potential senator or congressman should bring to the table uh, as they take elected office. So. Here's what the Constitution of the United States says with regard to qualifications. Uh, and we'll start with senators. And according to Article 1, Section 3, Clause 3 of the U.S. Constitution, it says, and I quote, No person shall be a senator who shall not have attained the age of 30 years and be and been nine years a citizen of the United States, and who shall not, when elected, be an inhabitant of that state uh, for which he shall be chosen. In plain language, uh, basically, you got to be 30 years old, you have to have lived uh, as a citizen of the United States for nine years, and you must be an inhabitant of the state uh, for which you are running for that position. So there's that for the Senate. For congressmen, the Constitution, and again, this is Article 1, Section 2, Clause 2, says that, quote, 
No person shall be a representative who shall not have attained the age of 25 years and been seven years a citizen of the United States and who shall not, when elected, be an inhabitant of that state in which he shall be chosen. Uh, put a pin in that last part about where you live because we're, we're going to bring that up in a minute as well. So to be a senator, you got to be 30 years old. You have to have been a citizen of the U.S. for nine years and you must be a resident of the state in which you are running. For a congressperson, you have to be 25 years old, been a citizen for seven years, and also uh, on when you're elected, be an inhabitant of that state in which you know, you're, you're being chosen. So those are the only uh, qualifications specified in the Constitution that uh, govern who uh, qualifies to be a senator or to be a member of the U.S. House of Representatives. Um, and as, as looking at that and thinking about, you know, recent events, uh, you know, looking at the last, you know, four, six, eight years and looking at who we have representing us, it, it brings to my mind a thought that perhaps there needs to be a way for us to judge if someone is, you know, not just constitutionally qualified, you know, as, as it says in the, pa in the passages I just read, but what skills do they bring to the table in order to justify them holding that position? And this all came about because for any of you who have, have been, you know, a, a job seeker, um, you know, one of the things that you have to very carefully lay out as you make your application for a job is, in fact, what are your qualifications for the position you're seeking? And, you know, these could include what are your educational requirements? You know, uh, what, you know, what skills, what uh, certifications do you hold? What degrees do you hold? You know, and, you know, there is a whole raft of, of hoops that you have to jump through when you apply for a job in, you know, the business sector of this country. And yet for a position as important as a member of the House of Representatives or a senator in the U.S. Senate, who hold responsibilities for, you know, governing and outlining the budget uh, for the entire country, who, you know, write and, and vote on laws that should be passed and, and should be handed to the president for, you know, his or her signature, who vote on whether or not we go to war, you know, and all of the things that uh, that the Congress and the Senate control, we don't have any kind of uh, quantitative qualification guide for who these people should be. And when you take that into mind and then look out across the landscape of our you know, U.S. Congress persons and our senators, you start to see what the impact of that lack of definition uh, gives us. 
And, you know, as as we've talked about on this show, uh, the the level and quality of the output from our Congress people and our senators really kind of uh, supports that preposition that perhaps we need to set some, you know, some quality standards for our elected officials. And the same can be said uh, when you go down ballot and you look at, you know, whether it's governors, uh, whether it's, you know, uh, state senators or state representatives, you know, and, you know, carry it forward down to your local level. The, the question has never been posed as, you know, two candidates. Uh, we ask them questions, you know, about their positions on this policy or that. We ask them questions on where they stand on some of the important issues of the day and of the moment. Uh, but I, I, in all of my years of listening to candidate speeches and you know press conferences and interviews, I've never ever heard. Uh, not saying that it hasn't happened, but I've never heard a a person ask the question of a candidate for elected office, what in your background qualifies you to have this job, period. You know, what, you know, not what have you done, uh, not what your views are on, you know, this, this position or this issue or that. What skills do you bring to the table? What, you know, educational qualities do you bring to the table? And I think because we've never really set those guidelines, and I'm not, I'm not saying that someone who is not, you know, college educated or, you know, whatever, wouldn't be a good senator or wouldn't be a good congressperson. More the contrary. Our founding fathers, and if you read the federal papers, the Federalist Papers, uh, about the roles of, you know, elected senators and elected congresspeople, fully intended that, and, and this particularly applies to the House of Representatives, that these members be representative of the, and, and I'll say, common citizenry of the United States uh, and, you know, bring their experience and their perspective to governing our country. Now, you know, that being said, the other thing that our, our founding fathers and, and the authors of the Federalist Papers who guided the formation of this country uh, in, intended was not that someone would become a congressperson or become a senator and stay there for, you know, 15, 20, 30, 40 years. Uh, it was intended, uh, and, and you can find this if you read, uh, you know, and, and read the context of the Federalist Papers in particular, that their intention was someone would be elected to serve as a U.S. senator or a U.S. congressman and serve, you know, a term, maybe two terms, and then go back to their normal life. 
And you have to remember to put this in the context of when the Constitution was written uh, and you know, realize that uh, it, it was finalized in 1787 or thereabouts. And what was the nature of America at that time? Most people were farmers or landowners, you know, plantation owners, uh, and that's where the leadership of this country came from. So the idea was you would get elected, you would serve a, a certain finite amount of time at, at the federal level of government, and then return to your farm, return to your, to your normal life. Uh, the, the, the founders never intended for you know, senators and congresspeople to be a 40-year career. Uh, that, that just wasn't in their scope of thinking. So when I, I take that information and plug it into, you know, the, you know, as I said, being someone who is in the job market seeking a, you know, a new opportunity and basically having to prove my worth uh, to a company for them to, you know, offer me a job, uh, it, it raises the question of why don't we have an application process for our elected officials? You know, and I, I heard an interview where uh, someone had suggested that a, a prerequisite for someone to be a candidate, particularly at the national level, was that they should take the U.S. citizenship test. Because uh, they, they did a survey and found that, and I believe they did it in the House, uh, that a significant number of congresspeople didn't pass the citizenship exam, couldn't answer all the questions. And one would think that if your job is to write the laws that govern this country, that you know, maybe you ought to have you know, a, a somewhat deeper understanding of you know what the rules and what the ground rules are for being a citizen of this country uh, and understanding its history. Now, granted, I believe the number is somewhere around you know, 57 or 58 percent of senators and congresspeople are lawyers. Uh, they they make up a majority of the people in Washington that hold elective office, but. That being said, um, you know, that still doesn't make them experts on, you know, everyday American society. More the contrary, since most of the uh, members of the House and members of the Senate are in the, the, the wealthy class or even the millionaire class or, or higher, um, that their connection to, you know, the everyday uh, man and woman of the United States, uh, it may be tenuous at best. So, it, as I said, it, it, I, I spent time this week uh, thinking in general about, you know, what would we need in order to have a quality congressman or a quality senator. And I'm not saying that the people we have are not quote, you know, quality, close quote, although I will caveat that with a comment from uh, House Minority Leader Mitch McConnell when asked about, 
you know, if the Republicans are going to flip the, the House and the Senate, uh, one of his comments said that it relies heavily on what he called, quote, candidate quality, close quote. So, you know, it, it is something to think about. It is something to look at as you gauge the individuals who are on the ballot and running uh, and seeking your vote for office. And again, this goes all the way down the ballot from the top to the bottom. Um that you ask yourself, is this person qualified to uh, exercise the responsibilities of governance, you know, of my city, of my county, you know, of my state or of my country? And I think that is a question that, as I said, I have never heard asked, but I think it is an important question that must be asked of anyone who is seeking, you know, our vote in order to to work for us within the government as an elected official? Um, you know, I, I I just believe that if we had a little more stringent uh, criteria, that we would get a better grade of elected official. And as as we move and transition into the second half, this will become more apparent. Um, when, when we get into that end of the conversation. But if you, getting back to, to quality, if you think about you know, what I've just said and you look at some of the, the individuals who currently hold elected office and you know, the opinions and the statements that they make, um, you know, and, and this is both Democrats and Republicans, uh, the proposals that they bring to the table, you know, the laws that they're proposing or the rules that they're proposing, it gives you pause to wonder, you know, what, what qualified this person to, to get this job? Um, you know, it, it points to the fact that elections in this country aren't a, um, a contest of who is the best person for the job, who is the best qualified person for the job, it more boils down to, and, and we've seen this uh, over you know, probably you know, 30 years, um, who do I like the best? You know, it, it's you know, going back to um, you know, picking the, the class president in elementary or junior high school or high school, who's the most popular? And not necessarily who is the best person to do the job, but who do I like the most? And unfortunately, that isn't a, the, the best way in order to determine the leadership of your country. Uh, we really need to reassess our values in terms of who we put forward as candidates, why they are running, what they hope to bring to the to the table and are they in fact capable and qualified of doing that and you know there are plenty of examples of individuals who were selected to run who really didn't bring a whole lot of uh, quality skills in, in one aspect or another to the table you know uh, obviously uh, you can you can look in recent past 
to you know our, our former president Donald Trump uh, and ask what qualifies him to govern. I understand maybe that you know he is a businessman that he has run a large far-flung business empire, but that doesn't necessarily equate to governing the most powerful nation on the planet. Um, and you know there there aren't a a whole lot of transferable skills, uh, in my opinion, that make someone who you know maybe has run you know a a multi-billion dollar company uh, qualified to to quote run close quote a multi-trillion dollar country you know um, and and I think it's something that should give us pause uh, you know we can we can go back through the ranks and look at you know while you know uh, Jimmy Carter was a peanut farmer in Georgia he also served as governor of that state uh, so he had some governmental administrative experience to bring to the table when we look at you know uh, potential candidates um, you know everybody famously uh, talks about you know how Dan Quayle was kind of the the poster child for uh, for the the not so smart uh, kid in class you know how everybody when Senator John McCain picked Sarah Palin as his vice presidential running mate you know again other than the fact that for a short period of time she was governor of the state of Alaska uh, you know, you, you look at what's her international experience. Well, as she told us, she can see Russia from her porch. Um, but, you know, we, we have fallen into a pattern of picking the person who you know, looks the best, who's the most photogenic, maybe the, the ones that, you know, speak well, um, you know, have a certain level of charisma, and may be short in the area of expertise um, for for running the country. Now, to put it another way, um, you know, you could have a really uh, uh, handsome uh, doctor or surgeon who you know has great presence uh, and, and so forth, but their medical experience consists of watching, you know, 150 hours of, you know, some medical show. And, you know, that qualifies them to, you know, operate on your body. If, if that was the case, uh, I hazard to say you would have great pause about seeing that person coming at you with a scalpel in their hand. So I, you know, I, kind of lightheartedly make that point but I think the point is valid that we need to to find a way to identify and select candidates who bring the broadest deepest range of qualifications to do the job to the table rather than the person who says the words we want to hear 
or you know looks really good standing on stage uh, behind a podium um, and, and so forth um, you know there there are a whole range of things you know you can look back at um, George W. Bush uh, had you know little government experience uh, ran a baseball team um, but you know really did not have a really great depth in terms of you know his statesmanship and you know his international savvy and in fact um, he you know made it a, a, a point of practice to routinely aggravate our allies around the world um, many of whom you know called his uh, method of interacting with them cowboy diplomacy well, you know, we are in an age where the world is interconnected both economically, socially, and politically, uh, and we don't necessarily need the skills of a cowboy diplomat. We need the skills of a professor diplomat. We need someone with some depth of thought. We need someone with some, some skills in governing and interacting at the international level uh, and you know again you know we, we look at um, you know our 45th president uh, yes he ran an international business but that is an entirely different animal from running the uh, the military and economic uh, leader of the free world so you know some some thoughts to think about uh, we're going to pause here we're going to take our break and when we come back we're going to get into uh some specifics and and we're going to go through the herschel walker situation which i think is really kind of the the poster child for what i've just been talking about so we're going to take a break uh when we come back we're going to dig into what's going on down in the state of Georgia and um, try and, and make some understanding out of, of what's happening. So you're listening to the Fired Up podcast right here on WJMS Media. We'll be right back after this break. This is Morgan Freeman. I know that many of you are wondering how soon you'll be able to hug your friends again or visit your parents and grandparents without fear. I know that many of you are angered by the ongoing racism in our nation and worried about having a job to repay your student loans and afford the basic needs of life. It wasn't long ago that people were beaten and even killed to obtain the sacred power each of you have today, the power to vote. And right now, your vote is more critical than ever. This election is about you and me, your family, and my family, our planet, and our democracy in its entirety. With our votes, we the people can begin to overwhelm the unjust political and economic systems that favor profits over people, and elect leaders who will take us forward. Brothers and sisters, go vote. Our lives, quite literally, depend on it. Whoa, 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 Georgia. 
Georgia. No peace, no peace I find. Just an old sweet song keeps Georgia on my mind. Georgia, Georgia. I said, just an old sweet song keeps Georgia on my mind. And, oh, that music clip, man, that takes me back. Um, you know, speaking as I was saying about, you know, being looking for a job, one of my earliest jobs uh, in the house where I was growing up was uh, I had two. One was I was the official channel changer on the television. Uh, I basically and most baby boomers will remember this is that we were the remote controls and it works something like this. Stephen. Go change that channel to channel seven. Or, Stephen, can you turn the volume up on that? And you'd get up, go across the living room, turn up the volume on the TV, or change the channel. And the other one was for my mother, uh, my late mom, who was a avid lover of Ray Charles. Um, my job would be to get up and move the needle back when the record ended and play it over. So I was the, you know television control, and the MP3 player of, of the day in my household. Uh, so when I hear that, when I hear that clip, when I hear that song by Ray Charles, it just brings back a lot of good, happy memories. All right, let's get back into it. And as the song said, um, Georgia is on my mind. Um, and, you know, it, it just is what we we're here coming out of Georgia these days um, is representative of a lot of what we hear coming out of the Republican Party in various forms and places and and messages and so forth. So this segment um, I'm going to be talking you know specifically at uh, voters in Georgia. Uh, and even more specifically than that, at Republican voters in Georgia. Um, you know, we, we've heard a lot of news over the last uh, weeks and, and months with former uh, high school and NFL football star Herschel Walker, who is the Republican uh, candidate for uh, the Senate. In, for one of the Senate seats in the state of Georgia in the upcoming election uh, next month. And there has been a lot of controversy swirling around uh, Mr. Walker, uh, particularly of recent times, um, as, as I mentioned in the first half, where you know there, there have been you know, some contradictions and some allegations of lying and some, you know, just really questions as to you know, what, going back to what we talked about in the first segment, what qualifies him to be the senator or one of the senators from the state of Georgia? Realizing the role of a senator uh, at the national level here in the United States, uh, when you 
dig into you know uh, Herschel Walker, particularly you know what he has said and and the you know the allegations and things that he has been accused of and you know all of this. So it it raises the question, particularly for those of you uh, who live in Georgia, um, why are you picking this individual to be the national senator for your state? You know, I raised the question earlier about what qualifies an individual to to be a senator. Um and you know the the media has been you know all over uh, just the things that that Herschel Walker has been accused of, uh, the allegations from uh, one of his uh, you know former girlfriends or wives. I'm not sure whether it, she was married to him or not, but where he um, not only uh, wanted her to have an abortion. But according to the evidence that she has brought forth in public, that he actually paid for it and, you know, then sent her a get well card. Um, now, he is denying this and calling it a lie, but the documents are out there. The documents have been seen. And, you know, it, it, it's kind of hard to deny when a copy of you know, one of your checks with your signature on it, which has been matched to your signature, uh, is out there that paid for an abortion, uh, which, you know, as you state publicly, uh, you fundamentally oppose all forms of abortion, no exceptions. And yet, you know, in 2009, you financed uh, your girlfriend to have one abortion and, and paid for it. So it, as I said, it, it raised the question and got me to thinking about, you know, what are the qualifications? And when we look at, um, you know, Herschel Walker, who, you know, wasn't on the radar as a candidate for Senate until former president and longtime friend Donald Trump um, you know, basically opened that door for him and, and kind of pushed him through it back in March of 2021 uh, when you know, the former president said, and I quote, wouldn't it be fantastic if the legendary Herschel Walker ran for the United States Senate in Georgia? He would be unstoppable, just like when he played for the Georgia Bulldogs and in the NFL, you know, and he's also a great person. Run, Herschel, run. You know, this was a quote that, you know, Donald Trump gave at a speech, um, you know, basically establishing not only his celebrity status, but uh, I guess to to Republicans in Georgia or perhaps more specifically to the MAGA component of Republicans in Georgia, uh, basically qualified him to to be a senator senator now. There's an article written, uh, and it's on thedish.com. Uh, it's by Andrew Sullivan, and the article's entitled, The GOP is Herschel Walker. And uh, the, the subheading is a sidebar, uh, I'm sorry, clarifying glimpse into the values of the party of Trump. So 
he you know basically is writing a a critical um you know a, a critical article about Herschel Walker um he talks about how you know Donald Trump you know cited him as a celebrity and a friend of mine um you know and it you know how that choice worked with the incurious starstruck base voters who gave Walker a 55 point lead over his nearest rival in the primary um you know that that should have you know raised some pause it should have made you ask the question um, but let me let me give you a few things from the article and again this is from Andrew Sullivan at the dish.com and you know he, he talks about uh, some of the issues that Herschel Walker is on the record uh, as uh, putting out his opinions on for example uh, he cites, here is Walker's grasp of climate change. And he quotes Herschel Walker as saying, our good air decided to float over to China's bad air. So when China gets our good air, their bad air got to move. Uh, here's his take on John Lewis, uh, the late senator. Senator Lewis was one of the greatest senators that's ever been. And for African-Americans, that was absolutely incredible. To throw his name on a bill for voting rights, I think, is a shame. Here's one that I, I think uh, makes you go say what? On the Inflation Reduction Act, again, according to the article from Andrew Sullivan at thedish.com, uh, on the Inflation Reduction Act, quote, they, con they continue to try to fool you that they are helping you out, but they're not because a lot of money, it's going to trees. Don't we have enough trees around here? And, you know, another quote on natural selection where he says, quote, at one time, science said that man came from apes, did it not? But if that's true, why are there still apes? Think about it. And yeah, think about that. You know, we need people, you know, in our elected leadership who and, and, you know, to to paraphrase Steve Harvey in a line from the Kings of Comedy, as as black men, we shouldn't be saying this about another black man. But this is among the dumbest statements I have ever heard. Um, you know, it, it's, and it's not just me. Do your research, you know, search out Herschel Walker's, you know, campaign speeches, uh, listen to some of his, uh, um, televised interviews. I mean, I, I spent this week digging into things that Herschel Walker has said, uh, and that have been written about what he said, but most importantly, I have listened to his words, you know, unedited and unfiltered. And I'm sorry, it, you know, like, like I said, shouldn't say this as a black man about another black man. But this this guy is not qualified to be a senator. Um, Georgia, I really, really think you need to think uh, and, and, and 
and dig into it and do your research. Um, you know, the, the, the key is, and as the article says, is he just a good, honest guy who relates well to people? That can make up for a lot of flaws. But nope, uh, Andrew Sullivan says, he's a serial liar. He has bragged that he served in law enforcement, and he hasn't. He has said he'd been an agent of the FBI, also untrue. He has lied about his business. Walker claimed his company employed hundreds of people, including a chicken processing division in Arkansas, then and grossed $70 million to $80 million annually in sales. However, when the company applied for a federal paycheck protection program loan last year, it reported just eight employees. Um, you know, Walker you know, also stalked, harassed, and threatened to murder his ex-wife, threats that were enough for a judge to grant her a protective order in 2005. She had divorced him four years earlier, citing physically abusive and extremely threatening behavior. Um, you know, he, you know, he put a gun to her head and threatened to blow her brains out. Uh, you know, and, you know, I, I guess central and, and what's been orbiting around him in the, in the recent weeks is this idea of, uh, you know, fatherlessness and, you know, taking care of his children and the fact that, you know, he has, a, a record of having, you know, four children, quote, that we know of, close quote. Um, and, you know, he has never, according to uh, reports and records that have, have come forward, um, taken care of them or, or provided for them in, in any but the most superficial ways, uh, you know, and yet he stands himself up as this pillar of fatherhood and, and provider and, and all of this. Um, you know, even, even his son Christian said in, in his viral video rant um, where he asked family values people, you know, um, and, and cited, you know, just about everything that his father said you know, were lies. And as I said earlier, um, the mother of one of his kids has now said Walker had also paid for an abortion for her. She provided the receipt, the cash check, and a personal card from Herschel. He responded by saying it was a total lie and he had no idea who the mother of one of his children was. Uh, and yet he had previously identified her to a reporter. Uh, her response, a classic, end quote. And as Andrew Sullivan reports, when asked if he had reached out to any of the mothers of his children with all of this in the news, uh, Walker replied, why do I need to? Uh, he also says he hasn't spoken to his son since the news broke of the three step-siblings. About the abortion itself, he said this to Hugh Hewitt in a uh, broadcast interview. Uh, had that happened, I would have said it because it's nothing to be ashamed of there. Uh, and, you know, uh, you know as, as the reporter says, a candidate 
who would make abortion a criminal act without any exceptions, the most draconian regime imaginable, also says that abortion is nothing to be ashamed of. A man who says he believes that abortion is murder thinks it's no big deal if he paid for one. And for this, he is celebrated by the Christianist right. They speak of absolution when he hasn't even confessed. They shield him from Satan. Ralph Reed went so far as to say that after the abortion news, he, and this is a quote, he 100% expected evangelical Christians would stick with Mr. Walker. He even agreed, agreed that the latest report could lift Republican turnout by rallying social conservatives to defend Mr. Walker, end quote. Uh, and, you know, Mr. Sullivan adds, and I add another twist, Walker's race. The party that decries identity politics picked him in part because he's black in a race against a black incumbent to, to with the first African-American to represent Georgia in the Senate. Clarence Thomas and Alan Keyes were picked for similar reasons, but at least they were smart minds who had more qualifications than merely having been a football star. The use of race here is more egregious, creepy even, a sign to my mind of disrespect for black voters that a man like this was deemed qualified to resent them, I'm sorry, to represent them or anyone else. So, you know, it, it is it is really, really troubling that the the candidate for uh, one of the most important positions in our federal government, that of a United States senator, um, not only has this much baggage, and I mean, you know, truthfully, no one's no one's absolutely perfect, but this this situation, Herschel Walker has, in my opinion, and let me be clear that this is in my opinion, has no qualifications to occupy the role of a United States senator, point blank and simple. And again, I, I point out to the voters of Georgia, particularly the Republican voters of Georgia, uh, look deeply, look carefully at what this man represents, uh, what you know, he brings to the table, as we've said, um, you know, an, another article uh, that that speaks to this comes from the New Republic magazine, a a noted conservative magazine. Uh, they published an article entitled The Problem with Herschel Walker and his Republican enablers is not their hypocrisy. And, you know, in in the article, uh, it it talks about the, the role that's being played by Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, uh, who, as it says, only animating belief in life is that he should be Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell until the day he dies. But as the article cites, um, you know, to read the mainstream media's coverage of Walker's gaffes and transgressions, his previously unidentified children from different partners, his spaced-out climate change commentary about China's bad air taking over America's good airspace, 
a seemingly never-ending litany of resume-inflating lies, you think that everyone reporting these uh, incidents imagines that the hypocrisy police are sure to arrive on the scene to make an arrest. What they're missing is that the law of gravity is no longer in effect. To wit, the point of view that Senate candidates need to possess plainly evident core values or sturdy credentials to hold high office has been beaten into obsolescence by McConnell, who is the sole arbiter of who gets to run for the Senate as a Republican. For McConnell, according to the article, the ideal Senate Republican possesses one quality. They are a warm body with enough cognitive acuity and physical dexterity needed to cast votes according to his demands. No further values or credentials are required. And for the most part, the votes those senators will cast only really uh, refi an, an agenda he has already successfully enacted. For the past decade, the Bel as Beltway journalists have touted him as a, quote, master tactician by the way he's leveraged arcane Senate rules to his own advantage or praised him inexplicably as a civil rights hero because he ultimately voted for an eminently qualified black woman to serve as attorney general after months of de delaying her confirmation. They've largely ignored, ignored his masterwork, a federal judiciary transformed by his blowtorch and pickaxe. The article goes on to state, uh, people who don't believe in government are stacking that government with politicians who at best boast about not even having the slightest clue about the basics of their job uh, of, or public policy and who at worst think of the public I'm sorry, think of public service as the most effective tool for grifting and trolling. Furthermore, this phenomenon has arrived at a moment in which the ability of the political press to provide a check on this slide into illiberalism has atrophied. For too many reporters clustered inside the beltway, the emergence of comically unqualified candidates or outright QAnon-pilled seditionists is just one more interesting moment in American politics, the fuel for bemusement rather than a clanging alarm. And the article uh, continues, which brings us back to Herschel Walker. There is no imminently arriving gotcha moment, no matter how more lurid the news gets. Walker isn't a hypocrite by any conventional definition, and neither are his fellow Republicans. You know, as the article states, hypocrisy, you see, is entirely dependent on the existence of a pre-existing core belief that one might violate. But Republicans have engineered a universe in which they receive qualified immunity from crimes of hypocrisy. They have inculcated their base with the belief that they are amid an ongoing culture war filled with spectral threats up to and including anyone in the media who might arrive on the scene to offer, hey, perhaps Herschel Walker isn't going to serve the public interest based on what we know to be true about him. Reporting that reflects what any objective observer could identify independently as, quote, hypocrisy is merely a bump in the road, a Twitter raid cycle to nowhere. And here's a kicker. 
Um, the article cites that you know the Inside the Beltway publication Politico granted anonymity to a Republican operative to share his thoughts on how Republicans feel about Walker's candidacy. What he said was as revealing as it was grotesque. Quote, it's not that we knew about his, this specific case, but he's a wealthy, famous football player who is obviously spreading his seed. That one sentence, according to the article, gives away so many games at once, it could make Tommy Tuberville look like Newt Rockney. Republicans do not respect Walker. They hold racist views on who black people are in this country, and they do not care about family values or abortion, I'm sorry, family values or abortion, period. Seed is a pretty dismissive way to characterize the unborn, which Republicans pretend to prioritize over all else. Um, you know, and I think that makes the statement fairly straightforwardly. Um, you know, there, there's hypocrisy and then there's outright ridiculousness, outright uh, disregard, disregard for, you know, a, entire segments of the American population. You know, the the overturning of uh, Roe v. Wade in the Hobbs case proved that, you know, the Republican uh, base, uh, particularly the MAGA wing, uh, do not care about women. Uh, the the plans they have for you know further eviscerating voting rights in this country and accessibility to the ballot, uh, for eliminating Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and other programs that benefit not just people of color, but people in you know the the poor and lower middle class segments of this population. Uh, if the Republicans have their way, the United States will be a country of millionaires and billionaires uh, that are served by a worker population of poor people and lower middle class people uh, whose only call in life is to uh, handle and, and serve the landed gentry of this country. Uh, in, in effect, if you really think about it and, and stretch the point a little bit, they want to take this country back to the way it existed when it was founded, that the power in the country resided with those who had the land, who had the titles, who had the money, the economic wherewithal, uh, and the rest of the country, the working poor, the poor people, uh, were just there to set the table for dinner, serve dinner, and clean up after. Um, we need to take this country away from these people. We need to take it back. We need uh, to, to get out and vote, particularly if you are not uh, Republican, if you are a Democrat, Independent, uh, or, or any of those. Even if you are a moderate Republican, Open your eyes and look at where your party is taking this country and ask yourself the honest question. Is this the America that you want to have? And, you know, you can be a Republican. Republicans were historically the party of civil rights, the party of equal access, 
the party of women's rights, uh, but along the line, the power and you know prestige and the money that came with the position have corrupted the Republican Party almost totally away from its original message. Uh, and my, my final point on that to, to kind of emphasize what it is I'm talking about is throughout uh, the election history in this country, both parties would publish a platform, a, a document or a manifesto that stated what they stood for, what they want to accomplish, and what uh, their goals were for America. In the last two election cycles, the Republicans have not published a platform. So just some, some food for thought there. Um, you know, and, and kind of in a related uh, article that came across late in the day, uh, a Republican candidate in New Hampshire said that uh, abortion decisions belong to, quote, gentlemen state lawmakers. Uh, New Hampshire Republican Senator, Senate candidate Don Bolduc took, told supporters last week that abortion decisions belong to, quote, gentlemen in the state legislature. Uh, and he was speaking at a town hall meeting in Auburn. Uh, he said, it belongs to the state. It belongs to these gentlemen right here who are state legislators representing you. That is the best way, I think, as a man, that women get the best voice at the state level, not at the federal level. It's not it's really Senator Hassan, his opponent in the race, that doesn't understand this. I think that sums up the point I've been making in this show uh, quite well. Uh, at, at least a significant portion of the Republican Party wants to roll this country back to the way it existed uh, at the founding. That is men and in particular white men run everything and the rest of us are just here to serve them. So. You know, do your diligence, dig in, find out, especially for those of you uh, in the Republican Party in Georgia. If you have not looked into what Herschel Walker is about, I urge you strongly to to check out what he has said, to listen to his interviews and ask yourself the question that I started this program with. Is this person qualified to represent you? as a senator in the United States government. On that note, we'll end for this week. Thank you all for tuning in. I do appreciate it. If you have questions or comments, please send an email to firedupradio at yahoo.com. I'd love to get your thoughts on the Herschel Walker candidacy. Make sure that you get and check your voter registration status and you know plan to get yourself, your friends, everybody in your circle out to vote this coming election day. We're down to about 28 days left, and you know there are a lot of things that are on the table, and it's up to us to decide which of them happen or don't happen. Take care, everybody. As always, stay safe, and I look forward to bringing you another podcast show in seven days.